Our guest, Anshika, is the founder of Eternity, and she is on a mission to digitalize the £5 billion South Asian wedding industry. An industry Anshika believes is in need of technological reform after struggles organizing her sister's wedding. When my sister was getting married, she'd gotten engaged and that was Mm pre-COVID. And then her wedding date was actually during COVID. So there Mm -hmm. were so many restrictions in place. We started the planning process, but there was just so much to do. And it was, you didn't know what you didn't know, right? About the whole wedding planning process. Anshika decided to turn her idea into a reality and started the development of the Eternity app. The app aims to make wedding planning simpler for the 90,000 South Asian couples tying the knot in the UK each year. Any product that gets created and any business is created surrounding a problem, right? And understanding if I'm going to tackle this problem, what would I want as the solution? And that's why it's really important to, for me, speak to different couples and people that were getting married to understand what would the solution look like. Today we unravel the story of eternity, where tradition meets technology and where our guest is making wedding dreams come alive. And without further ado, a warm welcome to Anshika. Brilliant. So the first element of this podcast is called Zero to Six Months. Right. Because we want aspiring founders to watch the podcast and think what could they do that Anshika did that could help me start my business like we want the real actionable insights Mm -hmm. so tell me a bit more about the problems you had with your sister's wedding and how that led to you developing the first idea of this app yeah so I think when my sister was getting married she'd gotten engaged and that was Mm pre-covid and then her wedding date was actually during covid so there Mm -hmm. were so many restrictions in place Um, and as she had just gotten engaged We started the planning process, but there was just so much to do. And it was not really knowing, you didn't know what you didn't know, right? About the whole wedding planning process. So that was probably a struggle in itself. Mm -hmm. But then realizing that every bride is different, every groom is different and every couple is different. So Mm -hmm. ultimately what my sister was going through was very different to what her partner was going through. And there was a lot of navigating the kind of wedding you wanted, um, the kind of wedding your families wanted, um, the traditional side, as well as logistically, mm-hmm. how can you find the right suppliers um, that you get along with as well? Because yeah. that's a really important thing. You're going to be working with these people on what's said to be the most important day of your life. life yeah. And you want to make sure that you get along with them, you have the right rapport, they understand your vision. And so I think it was a lot of that that can just be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So as that was happening, and then obviously COVID came in play, I realized that the wedding industry specifically for South Asians is very offline. Yeah. And then COVID make it, made it a lot more prevalent because you couldn't go into a shop, you couldn't go to an exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, print magazines are coming out once a quarter. Yeah. And so there wasn't really as much that you could do in the digital space other than maybe google or instagram and she used to use instagram kind of for her social life and you wouldn't want to go on there and then be like oh my god have i spoken to my decorator about this yeah oh i see yeah Yeah. so that was kind of the the problem that we found and then Mm -hmm. to your point of the zero to six months it was a lot of okay well if i was to do something in this space what would it look Mm -hmm. like brainstorming and I'm a very visual person so I just have to like dump everything down even draw the little things out Mm -hmm. I remember I drew something out and sent it to my friend um at the time just via whatsapp or something to say hey look could do something like this um so jotting all of that down and then speaking to people in the industry that was a big one of anyone that we knew let's run it past them why hasn't it been done before it seemed Mm -hmm. like a pretty obvious problem but there had to have been a reason so kind of understanding what has come about before um, why is it not worked? What has worked in it? And understanding all of those things and the failures that 
have happened in the industry to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes. And what made you think it's not been done before? Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm the person that's going to do it. You know, what like what kind of what gave you the confidence to really start making this turning this idea into a reality? Yeah, I think it's quite cliché, but I've always wanted to do something by myself, and I think Amazing. everyone who ends up being an entrepreneur has always said that I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um I think for me it was whilst I was working at HSBC, I loved the role, I loved the people. Um it was all really enjoyable. It was probably just that element of COVID which made it remote working where I was a bit like let me reevaluate. I knew I wanted to do something, but is now maybe the right time to do it? I was very blessed that I still am and I do live at home, yeah. which means that I didn't have a mortgage to pay. I didn't yeah. have like kids or any other mm-hmm. financial responsibilities other than kind of my own lifestyle. Yeah. So it just seemed like the timing was right to yeah. start it. And that's what probably gave me the confidence as well as, of course, what's the most important is just the passion for the idea that mm-hmm. I think firsthand seeing her go through it and then she had a couple of friends getting married in the same year mm-hmm. seeing them all talking about it and see, realizing the logistical stress the pressure side that was probably the first-hand problem that I resonated with which then led to the passion to do it as well yeah and it's so amazing that you've mentioned like living at home mm-hmm. you know I think some people shy away from that but actually you've got when you can go all in and you've got like a kind of safety net it's for like sure. a really great to get involved yeah. like at that I always moment. say I'm so blessed and privileged that I've been able to do that and it's something that not a lot a lot of people may be able to do um yeah. and luckily I have very supportive parents and Price, very supportive yeah. family who have just always said that do it and just do it to your fullest, fullest. don't kind of half-heartedly do it and don't worry about x y and z like just give your all yeah, yeah. it's funny because most of the entrepreneurs we're talking to have all started something like in the pandemic it felt like it was like a moment yeah. of time to think reflect about what's next in life so it's really great that like in the pandemic you had the time and space to like sort of build this app yeah I think that's the whole working from home thing as well I'm actually I'm non-technical so I'm not a technical person um building an app was kind of seeing the problem realizing the solution required that and so working towards it and finding the right people Mm -hmm. um so that involved the process of outsourcing to developers to make sure that we have a website and an app which can work well and it was still very much early stage and it still Mm -hmm. is early stage where we're at in terms of the tech side of things um hence kind of the next phases that we're now going through with fundraising Mm -hmm. and tech enhancements but i think it was a really good starting point to get it out there as well as build that relationship with couples and most importantly suppliers amazing amazing and um have you watched the Stephen Bartlett podcast before yes I have yeah so he touches on people's early years to influence like why they become became entrepreneurs and I was wondering is there anything you knew from being a child that you're like you know I want my own thing I'm very like goal orientated I want to make things happen like how were you as a child I think for me it came from looking at my parents mm-hmm. um, and specifically my dad. I think I really, well both of them together, my mum and dad, the way that they manage the work-life balance between their jobs and then me and my sister and like raising us, I think that's something that I really resonated with mm-hmm. and really drove me because I'm like, you know what, that's what I want to do and what mm-hmm. I want to replicate. And I think what was really important is seeing both of them manage their expectations in their workplaces to make sure okay. they have that work-life balance. Um, which meant that it's something that I've always grown up saying, you know what, I want to have control over my working hours. And I want to, if on a random, maybe like Tuesday, I need to finish early and take my kids somewhere or even be at parents' evening, those kinds of things they made possible. And obviously they had their own kind of struggles with that. Um, 
but we were quite unaware of them and yeah. so for me as a kid just seeing it from the front of it yeah that was really inspiring and I think that's what drives me so is it you wanting that sort of freedom like it feels like entrepreneurship gives you less freedom but in a way it can give you more freedom yeah I definitely went into it thinking it would give me more but you're right it gives you less less. yeah um like for example even going on a holiday you think twice because you're like okay I'm going to be away from work and this is time I could be yeah yeah. and it's time out the week and it's kind of you don't always switch off Mm -hmm. um so it's got its pros and cons but I think you're right it is that work-life balance and that freedom side of things for me which is really important and then luckily I've found an industry which I absolutely love Love, which makes it possible yeah amazing amazing and the next section of this podcast is going to be building a digital platform from a non-technical perspective Mm -hmm. because a lot of founders are like I'm not technical how do I bring other people on board how do I yeah really get something built so I would love could you share a bit about how you got this idea into an app yeah so I think it comes from any product that gets created and any business is created surrounding a problem, right? Yeah. And understanding if I'm going to tackle this problem, what would I want as the solution? And that's why it's really important to speak to, for me, speak to different couples and people that were getting married to understand what would the solution look like? And I'm a big believer in like, you do learn as you, uh, on the as job, you and kind yeah, of, yeah. as you progress. Like when I was at HSBC, I definitely did not know half of the stuff that I know now. Mm-hmm. And you just learn it along the way and you find the right people who help guide you. But ultimately, if you if you understand that you have a passion and, um, and an ambition for it, it makes it a lot easier along the way. So I think with me, being non-technical, it was things like I'm visual. So drawing it out, literally yeah. drawing out a mobile phone and saying, we would have a button here, we would have mm-hmm. a button here. And being super basic about it. And then speaking to people and tapping into your network of maybe your family friend does this, maybe your cousin does this, maybe you have another person from school who did something else and just not hesitating and reaching out to them and getting opinions um, and then kind of surrounding yourself with people who also know what they're doing. doing. So for me, in that case, it was developers making sure that they understand the vision and it's not easy. I've definitely had struggles going through developers. It's taken us a couple rounds to find the right people. Um, but yeah, it's just about biting the bullet and doing it because you're never going to know until you try it. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes regardless. Your mistakes will either be amplified or made less depending on maybe how long you spend doing your research. But I'm quite an impatient person. So, so for you- me, I probably amplified a couple of the mistakes, but mm-hmm. I, I don't regret them. Yeah. So how did you find these people who were going to code your app? Like yeah. if you could give us some really actionable things, like if someone else wanted to do it. Yeah. So for me, a big one was just going on Upwork. Mm-hmm. Um, I used that, put out a job posting and then had people reach out. Um, I know that there's a lot of other ways of doing it and I would recommend kind of trying tons. I'd recommend speaking to people who are in in the industry, even if they're not the same sector, Mm -hmm. if they've built an app or know anyone who has, just speak to them about it because they might have a network or a contact. Um, I personally used Upwork and that can be quite overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. be aware that even when you do put out a posting, you will have tons of different people messaging you and they'll all say, I can do it, I can do it. Um, And it's about doing the due diligence and that's probably something in hindsight because I'm impatient I didn't do as much oh, but enough. the things that I would say to look at is look at their passwork download mm-hmm. the app look at the website really understand is this how you want it to run but try and understand the technical side of things even if you are non-technical like I would say I've learned so much of the mm-hmm. technical side my knowledge is still definitely not there um entirely but I know a lot more about 
okay what's the back end do what does the front end do why is it so important they speak to each other Mm -hmm. um and a big one that i found is just they'll ask you to agree a scope yeah so just agree the scope and make sure there's every little thing you need on there if you're building some literally everything like don't think that that's an assumption and they'll know it because that's what happens sometimes when you're working with someone who's who you're outsourcing to as yeah, opposed to being a team member. Yeah, there's that communication that's hard to There maintain, is, and, yeah. and a lot of the time it's it's slight frustrations, but you'll be faced with, that's not in scope, so I can't do it. And then yeah. you'll say, oh, but that's vital. And, and then like, you think, oh, wasn't that obvious to you that I would need exactly. that? Exactly. So definitely just don't assume mm-hmm. that what you're doing, everyone is going to understand. Yeah, totally appreciate that. And... Um, yeah, you said about you being impatient. Like, do you regret not taking things slower to find the right people to yeah. like, really work on developing? Honestly, yeah. no. No. Because mm. I'm a big believer in you need to make mistakes to learn. I think I've always been like that, to your point of what were you like as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was definitely like, my parents would be saying, don't do this, maybe do this. And I'd be like, no, no, it's fine. I'd make my own mistake and mm-hmm. then you'd realise it. And sometimes it's not a mistake because you'll also learn everything, mm-hmm. right? um from something and so I don't regret it but if I could give anyone advice it would to be not, not to do it it would be to do that but in my journey I think it's it's been really valuable so you feel like you needed to go through it just to have these insights yeah because I would have always had that oh why didn't I just do that it would have been easier when actually no it wouldn't have been easier um yeah. and someone always said this to me that sometimes your most expensive developer is your least expensive developer because in hindsight when you look at it if you're gonna think oh let me spend less they're giving me a better rate and they will they're gonna negotiate down and be like i'll give you less i'll give you less and when you're starting out that's kind of a big priority of okay how can i build this yeah Yeah, how can and with any business it is just how can i build this with the Mm -hmm. least cost it's going to be the most expensive in the long run it's funny because we were chatting with another guest on the podcast and we both went for like really cheap development apps and it yeah. cost us it cost us and that's it does because it just it didn't the work. most expensive is the least expensive yeah no yeah that way around yeah and then when yeah. you pay for like like because people who are really good they do tend to charge you know mm-hmm. what they think they deserve so yeah that's a, a really good insight from you and did you want a co-founder a technical co-founder when building this i think even now i still think about how valuable it would have been um you definitely have phases because I'm a solo founder as well it's definitely lonely at times Mm. so you're definitely like okay if I am gonna have a founder they should ideally be technical because it would take that off my plate I spend a lot of time learning what I need to know and what I need to say before going into a conversation with developers so a lot of the time I think yes I think from the current standpoint we're at with fundraising investors prefer it as well so it's definitely something that I hear a lot um but I think ultimately there are ways around it and Mm -hmm. making sure that you have the right team so for example we're trying to bridge the gap by having a really strong development team who have worked with platforms like ours before um around the world alongside a tech advisor Mm -hmm. because that kind of bridges the gap yeah Yeah, because it's to the point now where i have a lot of knowledge i love designing like i said i I draw Mm -hmm. it out um and so currently our designs are probably a bit here there and everywhere on the platform because we've been iterating it to your point of changing three developers Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing um but for example, I do a lot of the designing for most of our bits and bobs, which means that between the three of us, we probably okay. have a skill set which works quite nicely. Yeah, amazing. So it's working for you as it currently Yeah, is, and yeah. it's it's something that we will definitely need someone to come on board, whether mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be a CTO, whether um, whichever capacity they come on board, and there's definitely a need for it. But it's also, a would rather not get the wrong person yes, um, yes. who's not passionate about it or... I don't want someone who sees this as 
a project and task and then they're going to move on in a year this is your life yeah yeah and it's my baby that I've been Mm -hmm. growing and so especially when you're going for a co-founder there's different types of questions Mm -hmm. that pop up other than just the skill set which is why 100% I would have loved to but it's it's just just not been the right right timing yeah fair enough and this section three we're going to go into falling in love with the problem Mm -hmm. so can you share instances where your understanding of your the problem with the South Asian wedding industry like evolved and yeah how did you come to realize that I think it's still evolving Mm. um I think because the industry is always evolving as anyone is um I think the big driver was obviously my sister's wedding and then initially when we were doing a lot of our marketing and outreach um we were at a lot of exhibitions and I think they're just they're so valuable because for us getting the first-hand experience from couples Mm. um to hear from them kind of how their journey is going, what are the pain points, what have we resolved maybe 50% but we need to do more, what have we resolved maybe 70% and that kind of thing. So it's really um, fun for us to actually speak to the couples yeah. and I think that's what drives the passion behind the problem. You're constantly speaking to yeah, your users. Yeah, just constantly yeah. speaking to them and also because it's such an exciting time in their life. It's not like I'm talking yeah. to them about something quite boring and it's work and they don't want to talk about it. It's actually something which either, it's, it's quite an emotional thing. They're either really excited when they speak to us or they're oh, really stressed, stressed out. Yeah. yeah, so it's, you catch them at either time and then if they're excited, you bounce off of them to be like, okay, mm-hmm. and what would you have loved to do more? And lots of things there. And if they're stressed, then you see it as, how can I help resolve that problem? Um, yeah. And so that's what's really exciting. And I say that it's constantly changing because, like I said, we're an early stage product at the moment mm-hmm. um, and it's served its purpose. But mm-hmm. now it's about really kind of taking it to the next level with what we've learned over the last year and a half to understand. All right. That can be dropped as a feature that can be added on as a feature. Um, and that's really exciting. What sort of features would you say your target users have most resonated with? Yeah. So I think we, I always say that we've got three different verticals. So we've got the directory side where mm-hmm. couples can come and meet their suppliers and inquire with them. And Actually, could you pretty... explain a bit what a supplier is just for anyone who's not yeah. in the wedding? You know? Yeah, so a wedding supplier would literally be anyone who partakes in your wedding, um, such as a caterer, a decorator, wedding stationery designer, outfits. Um, in the South Asian space, it could be your men, the artists, tour players. So it could be anyone who's involved in your wedding. And currently your way of meeting them is either word of mouth, exhibitions, um, or Google yeah. and Instagram Insta- and yeah. all of them kind of depend on how active are the people when they're attending all of those there's nothing which is really passive similar to what the Caucasian side, side has mm-hmm. where you can just log on to websites yeah. and they'll give you a list of like 10 decorators near you um, so that's the directory side and mm-hmm. that's really valuable because a lot of the time people are like you know what I want to support local businesses yeah. but I don't know who's local to me um, and also we find really fun businesses so we've got a business who I really love um, who make ethnic clothing clothing for your dog so if you whoa. want them to be part of your wedding whoa yeah so as opposed to them just wearing um, for your civil ceremony they can wear a suit and they're, they're really easy to get access of but then we've got a supplier who will actually design ethnic clothes for mm-hmm. you so it's kind of it's it's the supplies that you didn't know you could even get. Could get that's um, so that's really fun when you see that someone's like inquired a supplier through us or booked a supplier through us. Then we've got the digital planning tools. So that's kind of, again, to the point of you don't know what you don't know when you're planning a wedding. Um, as soon as you log on, you can see your checklist and that'll basically give you like a timeline of, okay, 12 months out, what should I be doing? Eight months out, what should I be doing? Because I think another problem that everyone faces is there's so much to do and you want to do it all on day one. Mm-hmm. When actually that's just 
with any job and specifically anyone who's in a project management role you just know there's a way of doing things and it's not possible um but then when it comes to a wedding everyone kind of maybe gets overexcited or overstressed Mm -hmm. and so they want to do everything as soon as possible um so we kind of help manage and balance that um as well as just keep track of things like your budget your expenses Mm -hmm. your guest list um and then the third vertical which is my phone one is always the inspiration side yeah so that's where we'll do articles and blog posts which couples can resonate with on either real weddings that have taken place and Mm -hmm. what were their experiences or wedding well-being is a big one to say yeah how do you avoid wedding planning burnout because that's really important to us um or something is kind of simple as how many questions what questions should you be asking your photographer so it kind of varies so that you can come on board and regardless of which stage of planning you're at you should be able to resonate with something on the platform amazing i really love the you know the second feature you mentioned of that roadmap yeah giving people this because no one knows how long a wedding takes because they've obviously not organized one so it feels like it's less stress for them when you give them this sort of yeah yeah roadmap (laughs) yeah and then the um I want to get into some personal questions to get to know you. Yeah. And I just want to know what's the most unexpected or quirky skill you've developed as a business owner? Oh, unexpected or quirky skill. Yeah. I think it's, that's a really interesting one. I don't know if it's a skill. Well, it is a skill. I think my ability to multitask has just gone up massively. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll I'll say I think I've always been very good at multitasking, kind of time management. But I think it just goes up even more when you end up being a business owner. So you'll be in a meeting and your mind's somewhere else, but you then learn and manage that you still need to be present in that Mm -hmm. meeting, but spark something in your head to remind you to do that later. So I think... Because as any business owner, and I'm sure you can relate, your head's in five or six right, different places all the, time. all the time. But it's about making sure that you're multitasking efficiently and still being present in the moment. Because otherwise you can just get caught up and you can be in a meeting, but actually you're thinking about your next meeting. Um, and then you're not giving your 100% here. You're only going to get 50% there. And then you're never going to get anywhere if you're not giving your all. Ooh, yeah. So this section of the podcast is going to be called reality. So we want mm-hmm. you to share with us the real journey of being a founder. So what are some of the hardest experiences you faced as being a solo founder, particularly a solo female founder? Yeah, I think with that, and it's the skill that I've developed, it is the whole having your mind in a lot of different places and not being able to switch off. Yeah. Um, And I think I struggle sometimes to get out of things when maybe I'm burnt out and I'm not realising I'm burnt out. And I think, especially when I was at HSBC, it was great and the culture there was so good that if you didn't realize you were burnt out, someone, someone else did. You, yeah. When you're on your own, your family and friends will tell you you're burnt out, but then you'll always kind of think, no, no, it's fine. Mm. Like every entrepreneur does this. And I think you're always told that every entrepreneur is working 24 seven. And then there's that guilt that feeds into it that, oh my God, I'm not working on a Saturday morning at 11 a.m., but someone else is. Um, and I think that's the tricky thing is the guilt of when you're when you're not working, it's the guilt of, should I be working? working and then yeah. when you're working, it's the guilt of should I be spending time with my family and my friends and allocating that? And I think that's what I've probably struggled with the most, and I'm still getting used you to still it. Have, yeah. Do you still have time for like managing your relationships with your loved ones? Is that still a thing for you? Yeah, luckily I do. Like I'm very blessed with, of course, living at home makes a mm-hmm. big difference. Yeah, but exactly. anytime I'm stressed, I can just go downstairs. Um, my dog's great help. Aww. He's just like the best emotional Little support you yeah. can get. Um, I'm really blessed with 
family and friends who basically understand what I'm going through, which is really great. But I think sometimes there is that guilt that if I'm having to say no to specific events yeah, yeah. or something that I used to do when I was working, because I could probably because manage could, it slightly yeah. better. Yeah, um, that's the main thing. And also just the guilt of sometimes you can be free on a Thursday evening, but you don't have the mental capacity to go out. So yeah. then saying no. And it's like, you know, when you can't tell people the reason because it's like not a... Well, and yeah, and you don't want to be like, Oh, I'm just work's really busy because then you feel guilty for being that person when you should. Per- you never want to be that person. You never want to be. You never want to be that person that's like I'm yeah. busy because of work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I have had phases where I have done that a lot, but luckily my family and specifically my parents, mm. they're really good at telling me like, get out of the house, get, come yeah. on a walk with us, or just go talk to someone else. Yeah. No, that was a really, really great insight. And our final yeah. question is, what advice would you give to other aspiring young entrepreneurs? Mm-hmm. I would say just start, like just start, just start doing anything. Even if you don't know what that might be, just look around you. You'll probably see a problem somewhere. Um, speak to other founders is a really important thing. I think even now with the business, the most that I've learned has been through speaking to other founders who aren't doing the same thing I'm doing. They're not even the same business model as mm-hmm. me, not the same sector, but you just learn so much from their mindset and that's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. So if I could tell anyone, it would be one, speak to different founders or people who have done it. Um, and two, just just start, just brainstorm, dump a lot of ideas down and just get going. Yeah, just start is such an important yeah. word of advice and it feels like a common advice a lot of entrepreneurs are just saying, just start yeah. and see how it goes. Yeah, because so, you're, whenever you're going to start, you're always going to have to learn and then get back up. And I think the average start is that it takes about three years for any business to get up and running. Yeah. So the later you keep leaving that three years, the, the more longer. you're going to be like, I wish I started this sooner. Yeah, yeah. Totally appreciate that. Thank you so much, Anshika. It's been a really inspiring conversation, especially as a solo female founder. Like, it really inspired me to hear about your journey, hear how you're going to disrupt the wedding industry. So, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I was so inspired by Anshika's personal journey to start her wedding app, especially as a solo female founder. Things can be hard, but Anshika showed that if you've got the dedication and perseverance, you can make it through. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please like, comment and subscribe. See you soon.